So there you have it, Trinity explained. Or not explained. A few years ago, quite a few years ago, after I preached an even better sermon than that one at another church, uh, we were having a discussion as part of it, as sometimes happens, and one of the parishioners uh, asked whether it actually made any difference, whether we understood the Trinity or not. And, uh, and at one level, the answer is no, it doesn't really. Uh, we kind of get on with our lives. Uh, I think many of us do worship three gods, uh, and I think many of us do confess to heresies, as uh, outlined in that video. But at another level, I think, it's, uh, I think the answer might well be, oh my goodness me, yes, it matters a lot. Well, why would it matter? Because how we conceive of God affects everything. It affects how we see ourselves in relation to God, it affects how we see others, and it affects how we live our lives. So, a couple of examples. When I was much younger, I was introduced to the four spiritual laws, which I haven't actually thought about for a long time, uh, which presents one model of the Trinity, one construct. So in this construct, God the Father is a distant moral judge who has judged us as immoral and sinners. Uh, And because of our sin, we are separated from God and God requires our punishment. But because God is also a God of love, God has bridged the gulf that separates us from himself by sending his son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross in our place and to pay the penalty for our sins. For this bridge, so Jesus has become a bridge, um, we must individually receive Jesus Christ as our Lord and Saviour, and then we can know and experience God love, God's love and plan for our lives. The role of the Spirit in all of this is to convict us of our sinful nature, to empower us to tell others of their sinful nature, and to invite them to individually receive Jesus as their Lord and Saviour. So that's one construct of the Trinity, and I'm sure many of you are familiar with that. So how does that shape my understanding of who I am and what my life is about. Well, I understand myself with that construct of God as a sinner, separate from God's love. God is way over there. So Bette Midler sang a song about God watching us from a distance. That's it. That comes out of that understanding of God. God is at a distance watching us. And Jesus becomes a bridge between us and God. But, interestingly, most of what the Gospels talk about gets shaved off. Because you don't need it. The only bit of the Gospels you need is the end, the death and resurrection. And the rest of it is kind of interesting material that you can use, but it's not part of the substance of who, of the role of Jesus in the Godhead. This model brings with it a need to be much more morally pure and a whole level of uncertainty about God which 
if we're not careful, leads us to think that we are better than others. And I think Israel Folau is an ex- excellent example of where that construct of God leads us. So he would say that he was speaking out of love, but actually the people he was speaking about did not experience anything that felt like love as they heard his words. Uh, they felt condemnation, and he was speaking from a superior place. So while many find that understanding of God helpful, they find it a helpful explanation of how the Trinity works. Personally, I find it constricting. I find it constricting of how we read the Gospels. I find it constricting of our ability to embrace mystery. God is very tightly confined. This is how God is. Uh, One of my interesting experiences in going to Ministers Association is listening to the ministers who hold this construct of God and their absolute certainty about everything. Uh, It just frightens me, really. I just think... We're people. How, how in the end can we possibly know everything about God and how God works? I also find it constricting in how we live God's love and how I live towards others. So here's another model of Trinity. A model that, uh, well, begins with the transcendence of God. If you go to a mosque, if you hang around, well, if you go to a mosque as part of the call to prayer, you will hear the phrase, Allahu Akbar. If you are in the, uh, in the times of prayer, that is the dominant phrase used throughout the prayers, Allahu Akbar. Which means, well, many people think it means God is great, but it actually means God is greater than great. God is beyond great. It means God is. Now, it's not just a phrase that Muslims use. It's also a phrase that Arab-speaking Christians use and have used for hmm, around 2,000 years in its Arabic or Aramaic forms. So we keep forgetting that there are a whole lot of Arab-speaking Christians and they refer to God as Allah because Allah simply means God. Uh, And so a lot of the phrases that Muslims use actually were first used by Jews and Christians, Arab-speaking Jews and Christians. So, Allahu Akbar, which means God is beyond great. God is. God is the source of all being. And St. John, so if we take, we've spent the last few weeks in John's Gospel, kind of wandering up and down his last speech, kind of jumping all over the place really, rather than wandering up and down at the beginning, at the end, the second end, back into the middle, uh, a little bit further through towards the end again this week. And one of the things that uh, John keeps talking about is that God is love. That's the starting point for John. God is love, not God is a moral judge. God is love. That's his starting point. And out of the very nature of this God, this God has been made known to us in Jesus As John says repeatedly in that last speech, God the Father is in Jesus, Jesus is in God the Father. So that everything that Jesus says and does is what the Father says and does. Which means we can know God the Father in the Son, Jesus. Everything that he says and everything that he does 
makes this God known. As I said last week, in Jesus we see and touch and hear and smell and feel the nature of God. It's not just abstract. It's made concrete. It's made real in the person of Jesus. And in the stories that all the Gospel writers tell about Jesus, we come to know of God's God, we come to know God as a God of justice, a God of compassion, a God of hospitality, of generosity, a God of faithfulness. The big theme for St. Paul was the faithfulness of God. We keep reading that as our faithfulness. It was God's faithfulness that was the central piece of Paul's theology. A God of love who, in the death and rising of Jesus, defeats the powers that seek to hold humanity in sin, in, in a life of sin. So what are those powers? Was it God that, in the, according to those gospel writers, that required punishment? No. In fact, for the first thousand years of Christian theology, it wasn't God that required humanity to be punished. It was the powers of this world. The powers of this world, which some people might describe as Satan, and we might want to use other terms. But in the end, the evil powers of this world who had judged humanity sinful and demanded the death of humanity, Jesus is sent to break those powers so that we are freed. And then the Spirit is sent to remind us, John says this, or Jesus says this in John, to remind us of all that Jesus said and did. That's one of the primary roles of the Spirit, to remind us. Of everything that Jesus said and did. And then to invite us into the same deep relationship that existed or exists between Jesus and the Father. We are drawn into the love that exists at the heart of God. So, how does that shape my understanding of who I am and what my life is about? Well, first of all, I have a clear understanding that God is love. One of the great Western theologians, Augustine of Hippo, who is probably better known for his original sin uh, construct, which is often misused. Uh, So for, well, we won't get into that. It's an entirely different sermon. But in uh, his treatise um, on the Trinity, which I've had the, the joy of reading, it's one of the earliest pieces of psychological writing anywhere in human history. Uh, He describes the Trinity as God the lover, God the beloved, God the love between. God the lover, God the beloved, God the love between. For him, God was love. And the work of the Spirit draws us into that heart of love, into that relationship of love that exists between the three persons who are the Trinity. So God is not out there distant, but God is close. In fact, Jesus in John's Gospel, in one of the passages we heard a couple of weeks ago, says that in the Spirit, the Father and the Son will dwell within us. Will dwell within us. God is not out there. God is in here. God is here with us. And the work of the Spirit is to be shaped by that love. 
knowing that we are beloved. And we are invited to live in God's justice and compassion, God's hospitality and generosity, God's faithfulness, God's love. I find that construct of God much more freeing and inviting. For a start, there's a lot less certainty about it. I am invited into mystery. There are, there are some clues about the nature of God. There are some ways forward. But in the end, God is beyond what I can imagine. God is greater than great. God is. And I am invited in this model to live in love, in God's love. And I am free to live more compassionately and generously towards others. Knowing that I am no more worthy than they are, and that I am equally loved as they are. So while we might say, on one hand, that whether we get all that stuff that that video was about doesn't matter, in some ways it does matter a lot, because how we conceive of God shapes how we see God, how we see ourselves, and how we live our lives. A couple of weeks ago I talked about the book by Dave Tomlinson, which I've mentioned in the pew sheet, How to Be a Bad Christian and a Better Human Being. And in this book, uh, Dave talks about the Greek that we translate as uh, repentance, which metanoia, which is usually described as changing our mind. And he says that a much better translation of that word is gaining a bigger mind. So it's not kind of going from one small construct to another small construct, but actually having our mind blown wide open so that we can embrace so much more. I think we need to repent of our small constructs of God. The ways that we confine, that we use the doctrine of Trinity to define and confine God. Whenever our understanding of God offers too much uncertainty, whenever our understanding of God takes us away from mystery, whenever our understanding of God allows us to feel either unloved by God or superior to others, we need to repent. And we need a bigger mind. So today on Trinity Sunday, we are invited into God who is the lover, the beloved, and the love between. So I invite you to take some time to think about what would it mean for you to repent, to gain a bigger mind about God? And how does your understanding of God, three in one, shape who you are and your understanding of what your life is about now? What might you need to repent of? What bigger mind might you need? How might you be invited into the bigger mind, a bigger mind about God? So spend a moment thinking about how you understand God and what you might need to let go of so that you might more fully embrace the notion of God, the lover, the beloved, and the love between. We're not going to do-
into a creed because one of the troubles with creeds is they were written out of particular moments in history to answer particular problems. And then they kind of got solidified as the way of understanding God, which again took away the mystery. And they're helpful, but there are times when actually they're not very helpful because they stop us doing the same work that those people who wrote the creeds had to do. Like the Apostles' Creed came at the end of the Nicene, the Council of Nicaea, and that was a hard-fought, a hard-fought council. And then at the next council, I can't remember where it was, somewhere in what we, Asia Minor, um, Ephesus, I think, uh, they, they reaffirmed the, the creed that they uh, developed at Nicaea in what we call the Nicene Creed. So it was a, an affirmation of that. But again, it was hard fought. And the question was Arianism. So, I mean, it was about a particular issue. So I want you to think, and if you want to talk to your neighbour about the nature of God and how you understand God and how that affects your life, and that will be our creed for today, because that seems a much more important way we can affirm our faith. So if you want to talk to your neighbour, otherwise sit and quiet and think for a minute or two and then we'll have our prayers.